And I think that that's what the really sudden explosion of long COVID is doing for people in the medical system is just making them confront this phenomenon yeah. of dealing with this long lasting, just drag you down kind of health problem where it's not like you're being rushed to the hospital, but you just don't feel like you say like yourself anymore. Right. You it's can't affecting think, your you life. You don't have the energy, you don't have motivation. And a lot of researchers have made this, this connection between long COVID and a lot of other mm-hmm. chronic health problems. For example, researchers that have studied chronic fatigue syndrome, those people have spoken out and said that long COVID is chronic fatigue syndrome. There's mm-hmm. so many parallels. It's, we're dealing with a similar thing. This is Get Personal with Dr. Chris. Real life stories and informative conversations, helping you take control of your health and feel like yourself again. Today, I am talking again with my oldest son, Anthony, who is a health journalist and my podcast producer. Last episode, we shared our story, how Anthony came down with a mystery illness And we both realize that our mainstream healthcare system can really struggle to effectively diagnose and treat chronic illness. So today we're talking more about these big systemic issues. We look at the history of medicine and human health, how the black plague changed our immune systems and how long COVID has been a big wake up call for the healthcare system as a whole. So last episode, we talked about how our experience changed, how we thought of the healthcare system and disease and kind of how this affected us on a really personal level, Mm -hmm. but also changed how we thought of the whole world, really. I mean, for me, the whole made me think a lot about the, just the history of medicine and human health. Mm-hmm. And um, as a journalist that writes about health, um, I've yeah I've spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I guess I'll just I'll, I'll try to summarize that by saying you know everyone you know we tend to think that now we're we're living in this incredible era of health and medicine where nothing has been there's never been more there we've we've never been more advanced as a healthcare system we've never been able to cure more things we've never been healthier we've never been living longer and in a lot of ways that's true Mm -hmm. um in for example just in 1800 uh, a little over 200 years ago the life expectancy across the whole world, was just 29 years old. Um, In 1950, it jumped to 46 years old. And now it's 71. Mm -hmm. So it's increased dramatically in a relatively short period of time. However, when you look a little bit more deeply into it, you tend to think that that what that means is that 
there's a lot of people dying at the age of 29 in the 1700s. It's like that was sort of like the end of the line for most people. <laughs> but that actually wasn't true. The the reason that the that the life expectancy was so low is that so many people died as babies or yeah. kids mm-hmm. and or in giant plagues or pandemics. Yep. So one distinction that I've heard is that our life expectancy increased, but our life span didn't necessarily increase. Right. Humans have always been able to live into their 70s, 80s, 90s, even 100. There's records of ancient Roman people being over 100 years old. Yeah. Um, we've discovered bones of people that lived over a thousand years ago that were in their 70s. So prior to last century, over a quarter of infants died before the age of one, mm. one out of four. Um, and then almost half of kids died before the age of 15. So wow. only one out of every two kids made it to adulthood. Mm-hmm. Today, only 3% of infants die before one and less than five die before 5%, less than 5% die before the age of 15. And in the, in the United States and developed countries, it's even lower. Yeah. So that's the reason why the life expectancy has increased because we've, we're making it past uh, being kids now, whereas half of people didn't. And the other ma- major reason is uh, pandemics. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we just lived through a pandemic, but really the historical pandemics that we've suffered are uh just exponentially worse and yeah. make this last one look like nothing really right. um so the black the black plague which was about 700 years ago at its height killed 25% of the population wow. of Europe and Asia um when Christopher Columbus arrived in the Americas um, they brought so much disease with them mm-hmm. from Europe that the native people here weren't immune to that about 100 by by 16 by the year 1600 about 100 years after they arrived the population of the Americas decreased from 60 million to 6 million wow 90% of Ooh. people died because um, they weren't used to the bugs that they brought over they didn't have Very any immunity. To yeah, them. because yeah. they hadn't been exposed. Yeah, and the major reason is that the Europeans had uh, like big animals, like horses mm-hmm. and cows, and so they they had gotten diseases from them and then developed immunity from them. Oh. So most of the diseases were like animal born. Um, and then another example: the Spanish flu, exactly a hundred, mm-hmm. essentially exactly one hundred years before COVID, killed. 50 million uh, at least 50 million people and that's wow. more people than died that that's more people that died in all of world war one and so today yeah. we're not dying as little Thank kids goodness. and we're yes. not 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 so many people are dying mm-hmm. of plagues and so there are more people that are living as middle-aged and and 
older people. Yep. Longevity. And so now it's kind of time to turn our attention to these kind of chronic health problems that we were discussing in the last episode. Yep. That I've been dealing with and a lot of your patients have been dealing with. And so if we want to uh, want to look at some statistics about Lyme disease, which is what I was diagnosed with. Right. Um, the CDC estimates that half a million Americans are diagnosed and treated for Lyme disease every year. So that's extremely common. Yes, it is. Um, and so now we're really at a point where it seems like our healthcare system is transitioning from keeping little babies alive and dealing with plagues to trying to increase our quality of life and make us healthier. Well, I mean, I think we're still trying to keep babies alive, but I mean, mm-hmm. right. We know we have the technology to keep our, keep ourselves alive. Basically, we have the ability to, to divert any acute major incidences and, and issues to get us past birth and get us past the age of 15. And then we now we're older, we're living longer, but we have these chronic conditions. And I think that, you know, the evolution of our bodies through those times has gotten us here too. Our immune systems have gotten us here. You know, the exposure to the things that we've been exposed to have, has gotten us here. And that's, that's genetics. That's epigenetics. That's genetics changing over time Mm -hmm. and getting us to the point where we're able to, like your example of the poor Native Americans that were here already when Christopher Columbus came over, when the Europeans came over, they they were just bombarded with, they did not have the genetics. They did not have the exposure. We are we are getting the exposure over time, which is so important to our immune systems. But, um, and sometimes those immune systems, our immune systems get overly excited, which is causing some of these chronic conditions that we're seeing now. Yeah, we... Yeah, so I think um, what you're kind of getting at there, there's something really interesting that has been researched just recently in the past few years, which is people that have done genetic studies Mm -hmm. of people that died from the Black Plague uh, around 700 years ago, um, studying their... DNA mm-hmm. and finding how that affected the genetics of the world population at the time. Yep. And what they found was that there is one specific gene called ERAP2, which made it 40% more likely that you would survive the Black Plague if you happen to have this gene. And so just how genetics and natural selection works. What ended up happening is that there was way more after the black plague killed so many people without this ERAP2 gene, the world after the black plague all of a sudden had a ton of this gene. Humans suddenly a, a huge percentage of us now have this. 
And what we found recently is that that overactive immune system that helps you helped these people with that gene survive the black plague can also cause other chronic problems. Mm-hmm. Other kinds of autoimmune issues. Mm-hmm. So our immune system, our bodies that helped us adjust to this black plague. Um, and this gene is still being expressed today. A lot of us have it and it is protective on one end and, and can be detrimental on the other, especially in certain conditions. For instance, Crohn's, it's been studied. So, but it's a good example of how as our bodies evolve, they become able to fight off one particular thing in, in, for instance, the black plague and, and respiratory illnesses and acute stuff. But then our immune system becomes my, becomes overzealous and uh, wants to fight off everything. And that makes us tired and gives us different kinds of autoimmune disorders. Could be thyroiditis, it could be Crohn's, it could be um, chronic long-term, you know, Lyme's or EBV, which is Epstein-Barr mono. This is all, it's almost like our genes get, or our immune system gets supersized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's just the, the give and take of this gene. It, mm-hmm. it will help you not die in the plague. Yeah. But it could also make you feel really bad and weird. Yeah. So we live longer. And yet sometimes we don't feel well while we're living. And I think the other thing that's really important is it's kind of opened our eyes to, and one thing we were talking about is to kind of the long haul COVID. Um, I know everybody's really heard and is talking now about long haulers or long COVID, whatever you want to call it. But essentially it's the same thing that happened to people like you and to people that have Epstein-Barr, for instance, what I see and what I've seen in my practice is somebody that's had COVID, now all of a sudden they feel like their Epstein-Barr has flared. Really what's happening is their immune system's flaring. And it happens to many of us in the case where our immune system turns on because it sees something like COVID or any other acute illness, and then it forgets to turn off pretty much. And this has been going on for years and years and years, but I think what COVID did, even for what I would call the general medical population, is kind of started to open their eyes to this happens. Mm-hmm. You need to know that this happens. And it has to be treated. And guess what? Most of the time, it can't be treated with pharmaceuticals. It's got to be treated by by supporting the body, by supporting the person and the immune system. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember really clearly, you know, right after COVID started, starting to hear about the long COVID stuff and people yeah. were talking about brain fog <laughs> and, and like, fatigue. That's me. That's yeah. And, I I, and immediately I knew that this is exactly the same thing that I went through. Yep. Um, and they talked about that doctors didn't know what to do with them. They mm-hmm. said they were fine. They said it's all in your head. Mm-hmm. They said there's no way that COVID could be causing this. The virus isn't in your body anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just really clear to me that in in every way, this was the same thing that I went through. Yep. And I think that that's what the 
really sudden explosion of long COVID is doing for people in the medical system is just making them confront this phenomenon yeah. of of dealing with this long lasting, just drag you down kind of health problem where it's not like you're being rushed to the hospital, but you just don't feel like you say like yourself anymore. Right. You it's can't affecting think, your you life. You don't have the energy, you don't have motivation. Um, and you know that there's something yeah. wrong with your body, but no one can tell you what it is. And they say, no, you're wrong. There actually isn't. You're, you're, you're imagining this. There actually is nothing wrong with you that we can tell. Um, and a lot of researchers have made this, this connection between long COVID and all the, all, a, a lot of other mm-hmm. chronic health problems, for example, there's a lot of researchers. I mean, there's, there aren't a lot of researchers that have studied chronic fatigue syndrome, but there are some. And those people immediately have spoken out and said that there's a, that this is long COVID is chronic fatigue syndrome. There's mm-hmm. so many parallels. It's, 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 we're dealing with a similar thing. And for example, during the original SARS outbreak in 2003, they observed a, um, increases in chronic fatigue syndrome in areas where people were getting that virus. Mm -hmm. Um, Similarly, like you mentioned, uh, there's also a lot of parallels that people have drawn to long Epstein-Barr, people that get mono, Mm -hmm. have very similar problems following that, getting over it. Um, I even found a, a study from as far back as 1988 on post-infectious disease syndrome is what they called it at the time. That seems more appropriate than something just called chronic fatigue syndrome to me. Yeah, that's more. I like that. I like that. I like that verbiage better because I think that gets at the root cause more. Yeah, it's actually specifying that yeah. there was an infection at the root of this thing. Chronic fatigue syndrome is just saying, yeah, you're you're chronically tired. fatigued. Yeah, like that. That just kind of goes at. I just need a name for this thing. Yeah. And anybody that comes in, I have chronic fatigue. I'm like, okay, that means nobody figured out yet mm-hmm. what is going on. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you, but I just had, I definitely had to point that oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, that's because in this, this paper, post-infectious disease syndrome, it, mm-hmm. it, they were coming at it from studying hospital workers. And when there was an outbreak of some kind of virus or bacterial infection, they noticed that a certain portion of the workers would have this lingering fatigue and these weird problems. Mm -hmm. And so they called it post-infectious disease syndrome because they were observing it from the beginning of the outbreak. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas other people just come in with fatigue and they can't really pinpoint where, why it started. And that's what COVID did for us. Yeah. It gave us a starting point Mm -hmm. or it's given the general medical population like, oh, hello, like the light goes on, it started with something, you know, instead of, like you said, instead of people just coming in like, man, I am so tired and so brain fogged and I can't get out of bed and I'm my body hurts. Instead of them just coming in presenting like that, they're like, well, I had COVID and mm-hmm. now I have this. And so at least that that they are understanding that there's a starting point. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I mean, like saddened to 
to hear that people were going through this and I was worried well, yeah. that it would happen to me. Yeah. But on the other hand, I was, it made me really hopeful because I knew that the amount of people that understand this phenomenon of getting a sickness and then having this very, very long or even lifelong weirdness that follows it. Yeah. People, now everyone knows about that. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's, you know, so we might actually start to do something about it. Well, I think it's not, not that we're not doing something. I think when you, when you present this to the naturopathic community, we, we get this, we know this, we treat it. We've been treating it for a long time. Mm -hmm. I think what it does is it brings it to the forefront of more your general medicine and your more traditional medical providers for them to understand and research that this is Mm -hmm. something. And then, and, and, and and obviously more people will be helped that way because there's only so many naturopathic physicians out there. There's a lot more general medical professionals. So it'd be nice if everybody got on the same page. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. It, it brings it yeah. into the the mainstream Main, yeah. world so that now <clears throat> when someone like me goes to a doctor and explains all these weird things that are happening, yeah. they'll part of them will might identify that as some kind of post-infectious mm-hmm. immune system situation. Yeah. Whereas 10 years ago when we were going through it, Literally, no one did. No. That that was not on their radar at all. Nope. Um, so, yeah, as a... <clears throat> so, so treating people with long COVID, how yeah. have you observed, like, their symptoms and their progression and how do they relate to each other and other people with different health problems? I think that like it is like it always is there people are individual right so they're going to experience their what we might say long recovery period differently and i like to call it that mm. i like to call it you're you're having a long recovery period your body needs more help to get through this you're not in danger you're you know you're you're going to recover it's just that your body's taking longer. It took a bigger hit. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to support it more than somebody that didn't take as big a hit. And for some people, like it is in Lyme's or in other kinds of illnesses like Epstein-Barr versus Lyme's versus COVID, they have a different origin. So for some people in limes, it's a spirochete and there's certain, and there's antibiotics. I've used them. There's certain antibiotics that fight against them better. There's certain, um, uh, botanicals and nutrients that fight against it better. So sometimes we have to beef up what we know fights that thing. Um, Epstein-Barr, you know, there's other monolaurin and there's, there's certain things that we use for that. So, so we have to beef that up in COVID. We were using other things to help fight that even antivirals. So, so traditional antivirals. Um, so we can find the specifics to try to get at those specific things. And then we can go with general stuff. Like how are we going to generally support your body? Well, 
we're going to generally support it by supporting your adrenals again. And because your adrenals are really important when it comes to your immune system. And you're tired because your immune because your adrenals are shot because they've been mm-hmm. busy fighting off stuff, right? And we have to support your thyroid because it takes a hit and your hormones because they take a hit, you know, and then there's all the, the um, vitamins and minerals that are important in your immune system and your B vitamins, your magnesium, your fatty acids. So again, everybody's different. Everybody's specific. And so we have to figure out, you know, where we're going to go with you. Yeah. I think that was one uh, kind of like epiphany I had at some point in my treatment was I started to think about it how you were describing where it's like on one hand you have your body on the other hand you have the infection or pathogen or whatever it is yeah and like we were describing last time we in the the previous episode it's about balance so it's like you can Mm -hmm. you can address the action the the thing the bacteria with antibiotics or different antimicrobial things that will actually try to reduce the the amount of that thing in you yeah or on the other side you can boost your body and it's not about making the antibiotic or it's not about making the illness side of it disappear it's just about making the two things exist together yes in a way that Mm -hmm. you feel good yeah so there's boosting yeah there's boosting your body on one hand there's addressing the Mm -hmm. infection on the other and they're both really important and i think that's the the challenge with with longevity in general that's the challenge with making sure that as we live longer because we know we have the ability to live longer because we're living past infancy and we're living past being 15 and you know it's making that longevity better and happier and healthier and and have a better quality of life is just you know you're going to deal with that everybody's going to have some chronic stuff right yeah you know and so just boost your own ability to deal with that yeah and i guess that's what it seems like our healthcare system hasn't been very good about they don't really think about that very often you you only go when you're sick right you go when you're sick yeah you only go when you're sick it's that it that is the way the health our healthcare system was set up you know originally it's mm-hmm. it's sick care basically, which is fine, um, and has its place. But I think the the longer we live and the potential we have for living a great life, we have to look at other parts of it, and we have to look at other ways to support health. Yeah, this is uh, another s- set of statistics that I found that kind of illustrates that. So in the U.S., where you know our healthcare system is. Uh, infamous really for being extremely expensive for spending a lot of money and not having Mm -hmm. the best outcomes so we spend by far the most on on healthcare of any country in the world we spend eight thousand dollars per capita on health per we spend eight thousand dollars per capita on healthcare and our life expectancy is about 79 by comparison japan spends half of that four thousand dollars and their life expectancy is higher 84 um and so we're talking about just this idea that, you know, you only go when you're sick and when you have this identifiable disease or disorder. And so one example of that that's really stark is kidney disease. Mm-hmm. So the way that it works in the U.S. healthcare system is if you have uh, 
end stage renal disease where your kidneys just don't work anymore, you need dialysis, you automatically get that paid for by the US government. It costs $100,000 a year. So a lot of people would be dead if they had to pay for that themselves. Yeah. So it's keeping people alive. Yeah. Um, but it costs a, a ton of money. Mm-hmm. So in the 1970s, about 10,000 Americans were on dialysis. Today, half a million Americans are on dialysis. So, so it was 10,000. No, it's 500,000. And how many years apart? So that's been 1970 since the 70s. to today. 50 years, it's increased times 50. Yeah. From 10,000 to 500,000. Yeah. We're recording. <laughs> yeah. What? It's Is that a good enough reason good. to enter? If it smells good, it's okay, honey. It's probably fine. <clears throat> okay. So increase, it increased by. Make sure we're starting. It increased by times 50 in 50 years. And so a we, lot. we pay $100,000 a year for everyone that's on dialysis. Mm-hmm. That's so much money that today just. Paying for dialysis is almost one full one percent of the entire U.S. federal government spending. Wow, that's a lot. And I, and I think it's not that we. And I think the point is, we don't not we don't want to stop paying for people so that they live. I think the point is that what happened. Like, why, why do so many more people need dialysis now than they did then yeah. in the 70s, right? And so I'm sure everybody knows that, that kidney health, first of all, I always tell my patients, kidneys are very sensitive. <laughs> They're very delicate. You have to take care of them. Um, but one of the de- diseases that affects them significantly is diabetes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and most significantly, it's not type one diabetes. It's not the one you're born with because your genetics gave that to you. It's type two. And we know type two diabetes is lifestyle, is affected by your lifestyle, what you eat, how you exercise, blah, blah, blah. And so I don't need to talk about that. But I think everybody can put two and two together on that one. (laughs) Yeah. And type two diabetes has just been skyrocketing right Mm -hmm. alongside of it. And, um, and, And yeah, why are we... So we, we should look at why that's happening. And then we should also ask, well, why are we waiting until their kidneys are totally failed? And then supporting it. Yeah. And ha- what's the quality of life there? No, you know, you back to, to my point. To place to get dialysis. Every day. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. And so if there was a greater emphasis on supporting the body and kind of always monitoring your health mm-hmm. as opposed to just waiting for a disaster to occur to go to the doctor so many people i mean that's really it's not like a huge uh mystery of how to prevent no. yourself from ending up on dialysis no that's not a mystery but it's definitely a point to be made in terms of you know just quality of life i guess and the choices that we that we have to make. Uh, but it's also the point at which we're making, I think, with the way the sick care versus the health care and making those choices and also 
in terms of chronic illness in general, you know, notify and figuring out what's the root cause of whatever chronic illness you get. Because diabetes, type two diabetes is a chronic illness, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is. It's not, doesn't kind of go in line with the chronic fatigue type chronic illnesses, but it's a chronic illness. And again, if you follow it back to its root cause, we can find out how to, we can treat that both with ways to prevent it from getting worse and also getting at that cause, whether it be particular types of even medications that treat blood sugar and whether it be pharmaceuticals or nutraceuticals or herbs. And that's going back to that uh, basic difference between naturopathic medicine, mainstream Western medicine, Mm -hmm. just the focus on the cause versus the symptoms Mm-hmm. and the whole person and someone's health and all everything that's going on with them as opposed to just one specific complaint that has to do with whatever doctor they're seeing that day. If they're seeing a heart doctor, that heart doctor is just looking to give them some medication to treat mm-hmm. their heart. Which also, really interesting side note, treat the whole person, especially because, you know, I spent a lot of time with hormone hormones and hormone replacement, bioidentical hormones. Really interesting fact too is that men over the age of 50 that have had, even over the age of 45, that have had their testosterone um, artificially pulled. In other words, if they've had issues with prostate cancer or have had to go through some sort of treatment where they had their testosterone um, artificially stopped, basically, taking medicine to stop that, um, their incidence of type 2 diabetes skyrockets after that. Their blood sugar management is absolutely tied into their testosterone levels. So with that being said, being able to maintain your health and your testosterone levels over the age of 45 or 50 for men will help with decreasing your um, chances of developing type 2 diabetes. And that's just another example of how everything's connected. Yep, exactly. And everything can affect your hormones the well, way you yeah your lifestyle and your mentality and yeah what you eat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, 100 how much you sleep all of that affects your hormones and your hormones affect all of that yeah so so how so we're we're being hopeful that this specifically the phenomenon of long covid might shift the way that people and the healthcare system see disease and healthcare mm-hmm. um have you observed any shift of that kind in the past couple of years? Like maybe some, you know, new patients that are coming to naturopathic medicine for the first time or just the way that people talk about stuff? I I think that, well, I mean, our patients in our practice, I mean, we've got a lot of patients in our practice. And yes, we've seen more some long COVID, but we see long everything, right? Mm -hmm. You know, all the time. And I think the difference that it's made is that I see more in the research. Like I see more on PubMed, which is kind of your general clearinghouse for medical research. And that's good because that means that all medical professionals are reading these research projects. They're reading all this research and they're understanding and maybe getting to know the fact that 
chronic conditions happen from post-infectious diseases. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are looking at other ways to treat them. And even something as simple as, you know, the whole vitamin D being a big deal is it's now a big deal because COVID made it a big deal and it's a big deal in PubMed. So all of the medical professionals are realizing that, okay, vitamin D is big. Of course we knew it was big, but everybody knows it's big. And that's my, my thing has always been and is continues to be is an advocate for health, an advocate for health prevention, health um, preventative medicine and, you know, feeling the best that you can be. And, and I'm, you know, even there's not enough naturopaths out there to make every, to help everybody. So if all, if general medicine practitioners will start noticing this, it's a good thing. So it seems like you've noticed a little bit of like a coming together of the sides to some degree, they're starting to incorporate some of this, these ideas of chronic disease and preventative medicine. Yeah. I think just a shift in awareness is good. And I've seen it. That is good. Mm -hmm. So what do you, what do you hope to see? How, how do you, how would you, if you were, um, if you could have your just wishes granted for just how like both the healthcare system and people develop over the next few decades as far as just how they see, how they think about health and how they think about disease. Like how do you, how do you hope that happens? Well, I think that noticing and understanding that chronic conditions can come as a result of acute conditions is important to understand because A, when we do experience an acute condition, we do become acutely ill, we need to get on the ball. Mm -hmm. We need to support your your immune system. We need to take whatever it is to to increase your immune your ability to fight off whatever that infection is. We need to rest. We need to recognize that you are sick. Don't work through it. Don't power through it. What happens is if you try to power through something, now your adrenal glands are trying to get you going, like get in your car and go to work and do your thing, instead of backing off and getting all its 100% power to fight off your illness. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to do. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, as we move forward, understanding how to better treat the chronic condition if it happens. You know, um, what are specifics we can do? We know generally what to do. But specifically, you know, it, are we able to use and can we use other things like ozone therapy is a really big thing mm -hmm. um, and hyperbaric chambers and things like that. I'd like to see those things be more accessible. Right now, it's not easy to get involved in some of those things. We, we know where to find them, naturopaths do, but it's, it's hard to find them accessible. So some of those things that are available to treat the chronic conditions I think would be good. Yeah. Well, personally, I would say that if we were living in that world that you described when I started to get sick with all this weird stuff happening to me, and right away, people yeah. were saying, oh, okay, this is like, this really seems like a post-infectious mm -hmm. disease issue, and here's some things that we can do, and kind of explained it to me that way and started on these different treatments that would have been 
180 degree difference from what I did go through, which was just no answers, total mystery, all anxiety, just throwing all different pharmaceuticals at me with no real cohesive plan for what, what, what was going on. And also, I think when you find yourself in this weird position of being a total outcast from the mainstream yeah. uh, uh, pattern for how to treat disease, you all of a sudden find yourself like in the like wild west. Yeah. And 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 then you you start trying all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a lot of weird you know medicine there always has been yeah yeah and once you get out of the the straight and narrow mainstream world because it's not working for you then you might go to a who knows you know, a somebody fortune teller yeah or, right somebody that's not quite on on the up and up and yeah or an actual snake oil salesman yeah so you right. kind of find yourself without much guidance yeah and it's just really hard mm-hmm. feel lonely yeah mm-hmm. lonely lost and just like hopeless yeah yep so just having just a, a a societal understanding of this idea of your immune system overreacting and being kind of out of whack for mm-hmm. a while after something i think that would make it a really big difference just just even an understanding and then the research and the treatments will follow from yes. that. Yes. Mm-hmm. You want to wrap it up with anything? I think we hit most of everything. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We're like about thirty minutes. That's good. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do I need another wrap up? Um. Maybe. Mm. Um, let's see. You could just say, like, you know, to to my patients or anyone listening, if you. Yeah, I got it. Okay. So you know, if you're listening and you're like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, I feel that. I feel like that constant fatigue, or I feel, um, you know, like my heart beats too weird, or I just don't feel right." And maybe it was since I had COVID, or maybe it's been the last few years, and I just don't know when it really started. Mm-hmm. I think probably the first thing you have to do is find a physician that's going to listen to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, a naturopath would be great. But maybe you have a primary care physician or a functional medicine doc in your area that that spends time with you. Let's start with that. Find somebody that's going to spend a little time and ask you a little bit of about your history, the historical perspective of when this started. When the doc asks you, when did this start? And, you know, asking, you have the insight. Know that you have the insight, too. And know that a doctor that's going to listen to your insight is a really good sign. And, you know, you're in charge of your longevity. You're, you're in charge of your quality of life. You just need finding a physician that's going to kind of be your partner in that as probably the best thing that you can do for, for the rest of your life. Yeah, don't ignore it. And just battle through it and just say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. 
but also don't become so depressed like well i'm done for yeah exactly like you can it's really normal and that's what we're finding out now and you can you can you can get better you definitely can